In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. So today is the second Sunday in Pentecost, and so we changed the colors in the church, the pyramids, over to green. Green being that the color of life and growth in our plants, like our grass is supposed to be looking right now, hopefully it rains later today. This idea of growing in the Lord's church. Now, if you are trying to grow like a, a business, you want to be sure to, to keep in mind what's going to make your market share grow and increase. What's going to increase your, your company's popularity? So, like if we learned anything from Bud Light <laughs> the past few months, you have to keep in mind your, your customer base and be mindful of them while you're trying to do this. But you want to make your brand name more popular. So, what is Jesus doing when he calls Matthew to be a disciple? Not just any disciple, but one of the main ones. He's the vice president of marketing for Jesus, you could say. Why Matthew? Matthew is a tax collector. So tax collectors would have been hated by the Romans because he's Jewish, and who've been hated by the Jews for signing on with the Romans to collect taxes and ultimately be stealing from his own people. So he's hated by everyone. And this is who Jesus chooses to call into his service. And not just tax collectors, but also sinners. They seem to be attracted to Jesus like mosquitoes to light. Everywhere Jesus goes, it's sinners and tax collectors, and here they are sitting down with Jesus. And the Pharisees can't figure it out. They're looking in, they're looking into Matthew's house at this meal of tax collectors, sinners, and Jesus, and can't put it all together. Jesus is not trying to grow anything, but Jesus is calling sinners to himself and forgiving them and setting them free. That's what Jesus wants to be about. He calls to himself sinners, only sinners, those broken, those who have fallen short of his commandments in thought, word, and deed as we confess it. But it's not just our, our actions and our thoughts and sins that we do. It's deeper than that. In fact, this past week for Vacation Bible School, I had these little videos I was playing for the kids to try to teach some of these parables. And one of them was explaining how Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and this was making the Pharisees bad. It's obviously talking about today's, even today's gospel lesson. But when it was explaining it to children, it said, Jesus was eating with tax collectors and people who made bad choices. Now, it's true that sinners are those who make bad choices, and that's a helpful way to understand an abstract idea. But it leaves our sin as the stuff that we do, external to us, our actions. And if our sin is only our actions, then the purpose of the church and the purpose of Jesus is trying to fix our actions. We become focused on fixing all the stuff that we do, which is exactly what the Pharisees were trying to do. So we can't leave, we can't leave sin as the, just the stuff that we do, the bad choices that we make, which certainly inclu sin includes that. But ultimately, our sin runs deeper. It's not just sin as something that we do, but we are sinners to the core. We are rotten trees that produce rotten fruit. So it's not just those who do sin, but sinners to the core. That's who Jesus calls to follow him. And it's there that we find the church. Sinners 
sitting with Jesus, receiving his gifts. Now for a moment, let's imagine that you are a Pharisee. So I know this is hard to kind of imagine because we have a limited understanding of what that must have been like, except for if if there's anything as a Christian, if there's anything we get about the Pharisees, it's that they don't understand forgiveness. And they're focused on doing good according to the law. So in your brain, try to remove from from your understanding a, a concept of a God who's forgiving sinners. And instead, the whole purpose of your religion is to keep yourself perfect according to the law, to strive to do well according to the law, and uh, almost even more importantly, or just as importantly, is to go around and fix everybody else around you. Make sure everyone's saying the right stuff, doing the right stuff, wearing the right stuff, so you're obsessed with keeping yourself perfect and, and worrying about everybody else. So when you see someone sinning, and when Jesus, for example, is hanging out with sinners, this causes you, like, despair and shock and oh no we got to fix this mess because that's ultimately the goal to purify the world so imagine that you're a pharisee and this is the way you see the world and you're you're right away problems and brokenness and sin just jump off the page and draw you into it to fix it and you look at this world today if a pharisee was to look at our world today would he find sin yeah And really, it's nothing new. It's not unique to our civilization. Humanity's always been pretty broken. But the, the Pharisee's certainly able to look at our world today and see brokenness. Everywhere he looks, he sees sin. You don't even have to be a Pharisee. You don't have to have God's, God's law in your, in your mind to be able to see it. Everyone, no matter on which side you are, everyone would acknowledge the brokenness of the world. They see the despair, the school shootings, the depression, the suicide, the fighting. Every time you turn on the news, there's something. Every time you get online, there's something. Everyone's fighting. There's, there's definitely brokenness and turmoil everywhere you look. Everyone can see it. And the Pharisees, at least, can call it for what it is. They use the commandments to call it sin. But the Pharisee looks at this world, and there's just so much of it, so much brokenness, so much to despair. It's almost like they can't rest. They're constantly, everywhere they turn, there's more brokenness causing them to think they gotta fix it and causes them to kind of panic. So if they're looking for somewhere they can rest, where could I go and not see all this mess? Where could I go and look and, and just relax and not feel like I have to fix everything? So he thinks, I know. I'll go to where God's people are because they know his law. And so the Pharisee comes and he sticks his head through the window here and he looks into the Lord's church because we all know there's no sin in church, right? It's here where we know God's law. If you're gonna find a place, the Pharisee thinks, where you're gonna find people striving to do better and better, people going on the up and up, it would be the church. The Pharisee expects a church absent of sin, or at least of big sins. A church full of people who never speak harshly of others, who have sinless marriages, flawless families, people who live under the Lord's law and remind everybody else to do the same. The Pharisee expects sinless pastors who have it all together and never say or do anything less than pious. The Pharisee looks at you 
and sees, or at least hopes to see, someone who, well, doesn't need Jesus at all because you'd be so good, you don't need a savior. The Pharisee looks at church because we are, after all, gathered here to worship God and we know his commandments. So the Pharisee looks at the church with the expectation of sinlessness. Matthew 9, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisee expects to find a perfect church, a sinless church. But Jesus only calls sinners. It's sinners who need to be forgiven. You don't go to the ER if you're not hurt or sick. And so you don't come to church unless you have the problem that church fixes. So the church is only sinners. It is not sinless. And that way, you'll note that the church is not all that different from the world. So that Pharisee, hoping to find a place without sin by looking in these windows, finds finds himself quite disappointed and confused, doesn't he? So the difference between the Christian and the world The difference between the Christian and the non-believer is not that the Christian is sinless, but the Christian calls sin, sin, and knows what to do with it. Again, you don't go to the ER if you're healthy. You have to know that you're hurt or sick, but the ER is only full of sick people. The Christian doesn't deny celebrate or justify his sin, but confesses to Jesus and has it cleansed. In these days of all, we must be very clear about this, especially in this rainbow-clad month of pride. We must be clear that Jesus only calls sinners here and that all sinners have been died for by the Lord Jesus. Most who embrace the agendas of the day deny their sin, and where there is no sin, there is no need for Jesus to forgive it. But in our conversations, we are not steering for sinlessness, like we're trying to control the outward person, control the actions. That was the focus of the Pharisees. We are after a recognition of sin and brokenness precisely so that it can be forgiven and cleansed. The Lord is forgiving sinners who know that they have sin to forgive. That's how Jesus cleans hearts, by his word of forgiveness. And only then do good works follow. Hell is not for those who have sin. Otherwise, we'd all go there. But rather, it's for those who deny Jesus, 
for that sin. It's the Pharisees who don't think they need Jesus because their sin isn't all that bad. They're the ones who are in trouble. But the ones who know their sin, they come running to Jesus to be forgiven. If there's no sin, then there's no forgiveness. It's the sick who need a doctor. It's the sinners who need Jesus. You don't expect healthy people in the hospital, so you only find sinners here. It is the lost sheep that he comes to save. Sheep that can't find themselves, and they can't get themselves out of the, the tangle of mess in the bushes. They have to be saved by the Lord's mercy and gift. As Christians, we are clear about the law, the Ten Commandments, so we know how to love our neighbor, and we know, most importantly, to see how we have failed before God. But then we return here, confessing our sin to God and being forgiven for our wrongs. It is here that he gives us new hearts and makes us holy. Then he sets us to love our neighbor with good works. But every time we engage with our neighbor, sure enough, we're gonna sin. And so he calls us back here to forgive us time and time again. The church is not a Pharisee church. In fact, a Pharisee church would not be a church at all since it wouldn't need forgiveness. And forgiveness is the main thing that characterizes the Lord's church. Instead, the church is all about forgiveness, and that is the point. So we expect sin in the Lord's church and among his people. To be sure, it may disappoint us when sin comes, but it should not surprise us. We often expect everyone else to be sinless, don't we? But we demand to be forgiven by Jesus and by everybody else. We are shocked when other people sin, but we expect everyone else to be cool with us when we sin. We're quick to judge others, but slow to forgive them for the same sins that we do. So may our Lord rescue us from such Phariseeism and instead place on our lips the joy of forgiveness. And I'll conclude with this, that that is the main thing here. There is a joy in our Lord's forgiveness. In the Lord's church, that is the point. Sinners gathered together around their Lord's gifts to be forgiven, not crushing others with the law, but being forgiven. And then the, having the joy of being set in this world to forgive others with that same overflowing mercy with which our Lord forgives and loves us and our families, to those who have wronged us, and our marriages, letting forgiveness reign just in the same way as it comes to us from our God so freely and abundantly, and then walking into our communities and into our world with that same word of joyful forgiveness on our lips to speak to those who are tangled in this broken mess of a world that they would also know the voice of a merciful Jesus who only dies for sinners. In the name of Jesus, amen. We stand for prayer.